Hello and welcome to Biology Career Insights, the podcast where we talk with experts from the field of biology to gain valuable insights into the careers and explore ways to navigate the job market in this ever-evolving field. I'm your host, Dr. Manish Kumar. Today, we are joined by Atre Almast. Atre is a bioscience entrepreneur by training and a scientist at heart. She holds dual degrees in science and entrepreneurship from IIT Roorkee, Delhi University, and the University of Cambridge. Atre has worked in over four countries as part of startups like Pinova, Root Analysis, and large companies like Merck and BioNTech across innovation, digitalization, product management in healthcare and life sciences. Her last five years were focused on digitalization and data analytics, where she co-created products that serve needs of bioscience industry, including for her own startup called Connected Care and Me. She's now a uh, she's now part of BioNTech, a biotech based out of Mainz, Germany, that created the first authorized COVID mRNA vaccine. In her role, she brings digital and data strategy to life to BioNTech by finding the right problems and solutions that can help drug discovery expedite. She has had a chance to being an intrapreneur and an entrepreneur in both building and managing teams and communities and working on bold and visionary ideas. Her core values are trust, fairness, transparency, freedom of speech, and curiosity. Her life vision is to make positive change in healthcare, making it right, making it a right instead of luxury, as it might be perceived in medium to low-income countries. She loves learning and recently added skiing and swimming to her list and starting out with Python at the start of this year. Thank you so much for joining us today, Atri. Thank you so much for inviting me for this. So, you know, we'll, we, we'll start right from the beginning. What inspired you to pursue a career in science and how did you get started in your field? Yeah, I mean, I have to say for people with my background, this is quite an obvious answer. I come, from a, I come from a family of doctors, three generations. Um, for me, listening to biology, medical words at home during lunch was just too normal. Um, too normal, I say, because often my... My father would discuss as a radiologist what he would see on MRI scan, which sometimes very icky details that I don't think were lunch conversations, but we did have them. Um, and I have to say the, the, the rest of the science came from listening to these things and realizing that the world is a puzzle to be solved. And once you have those tools to, let's say, diagnose how to sense the world, um, the madness can make sense. So in a way... Let's say I had I had lucky origins to 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 be born into a family where we were talking science all the time, um, but it's it stuck with me. I have to say I'm the only child in my generation who pursued biology, <laughs> and that was because I realized um, human systems, human beings can be understood at a level of let's say biology, psychology, and of course um, human behavior. Um, and I chose to find my way to understand through biology. Amazing. So are you one of those who also wanted to become a doctor in as a child? Because, you know, I, I'm kind of doing this podcast with several people and I find the similarity that, you know, every, every I mean, most of them wanted to become a doctor and then they ended up become being a biologist. So, you know, perhaps you're going to highlight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. So let me start by saying 100 um, percent. Let's be let's be clear. Right. 
um, again, born in India, you come with legacy of, oh, my grandfather was a surgeon, my grandma was a gynecologist, and you have to carry on that, not because it's a matter of just pride of, 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 of being a part of, let's say, a medical family, but also, you know, doctors in those days, I, I want to go back to my grandparents, were known for being the protectors of society, right? So you, you wanted that um, purpose of some sort. I think the reason many of us wanted to though become doctors is because we didn't know what else could we do if we wanted science or biology to be specific. Um, so, you know, for me, I didn't even know what a research path would look like, felt like, although, you know, there were doctors around, they, did, they couldn't tell me anything about research. So yes, I was one of those who started by, um, let's say, wanting to follow the path of my previous generations. But there came a lucky, there came a lucky chance in life and many, of the students today maybe not see it that way but you will i couldn't clear any of the entrances in the first year and i sat there thinking why am i not pushing to even bother what's wrong with me like i don't i care because you know i don't like losing but this particular failure doesn't make me that sad so there's something off right um so i said you know what um of course with with counseling from my parents i said okay i'm going to start doing biochemistry and see where this goes um, this was my bachelor's. I think within six months, I realized that for me, because I didn't understand, I could understand the fundamentals of biology by not becoming a doctor. I thought that was the only way. So in short, yes, I come from that, that breed of wanting to become doctors. Um, but let's say a lot of list of failed experiences taught me of the other parts that existed. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 a good one. I'd say failure. I'm I'm the one to say iterate early, fail early, and then you know what all other options exist. So you will never run out of options. That's one message. If you have passion, if you have curiosity, and more importantly, if you have purpose, you find purpose. You will not run out of options. Amazing. So I mean, you know, you also have a very unique background. Perhaps you can highlight your education a bit more. Like, you know, after your bachelor's in biochemistry, what happened next in your life? Perhaps. Yeah, be... Absolutely. So you know, as I said, I I, I stumbled upon biochemistry, right? Um, and I was still in those phases of okay, now three years are done. I like the concepts. Um, I I can I can I can, for example, um, understand why. <laughs> For example, we're all getting fat because I, I like the concept of um, biochemistry in terms of um, understanding metabolic cycles and so forth. So, you know, I, I started to really get obsessed about the idea of um, simply put, why are people thin or fat? You know, you, you have very different um, foods and diets and genetics and so forth. So that was that. But I didn't know what next. Um, so as always, you know, you apply for programs. Um, I was primarily interested in biotechnology and bioinformatics to be specific. But back then bioinformatics in India at least was not that famous or sexy as a field to pick up. So I said, okay, what 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 can I do? So I learned, okay, I am interested in mice. Um, at least let me be, uh, let, I can't experiment on humans. <laughs> so what, 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 what lets me get closer to understanding this better? And that was biotechnology. I got the privilege to go study that in, in IIT Rootki. One of the only two institutes in IIT that offer this at a master's in science level. Um, and I say this because um, that experience really opened my eyes towards the world beyond science and limiting yourself in, in that world. So let me be specific. IIT as an organization is not just um, scientists, right? You've got technology, you've got management, you've got all that together. And let's say those are my first steps towards realizing 
great. I know all these concepts of uh, how humans work, how machines work, how things work. What do I do with that, right? Um, and let's say in, in, in the last um, six months of my master's, I was doing a research project. But in parallel, I started working for um, now what's called Roots Analysis, which was a market research company starting out, started out by another IT alumni as a, as a startup, right? So I said, okay, let me just support this and see what, what that looks like. So I was, I was paid this little amount of money, let's say, to start understanding what do you mean by Alzheimer's market? What do you, what do you mean by monoclonal antibody market? Uh, projections, all these business words started to come to my ear. Mm -hmm. um, I said, wait a second. So basically, we could do whatever we want in clinical research, and none of this could see the light of the day. So this purpose I'm looking for would be useless. Hmm. Interesting. I need to know more. Um, so I looked around and I noticed everyone was applying for PhDs. <laughs> that was tricky um, because I had no this intention. This was, Atre, just to, Sorry, uh, uh, yeah, just to clarify. No, no, please, so, go ahead. So uh, root analysis happened during your master thesis? It or did, it did, yes. Okay. In, mm -hmm. my, in my master's thesis. So I was doing a dual, mm -hmm. let's say, um, dual internships. I was allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. I was working in the lab uh, very specifically on obesity and diabetes through Jamun, um, mm -hmm. which meant we were looking at extracting flavonoids that basically help with either um, avoiding insulin resistance, increasing um, fat molecule development and so forth. But in parallel, let's say in my night job, I was doing these research assignments to understand the market of certain um, mm -hmm. either disease areas or technology landscapes. So yeah, it, it happened during the last six months of my master's. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a message for all as well. Look out for these kind of random opportunities, right? So I remember like my my, my, my classmates, and I'm not saying they were not doing the right thing. I'm just saying their interests mm -hmm. were different. You know, they were looking for the next lab research assignment. We're looking for the next, uh, next um, place to go learn a bit more about, um, I don't know, particular aspect, let's say, of plant biotechnology. And I was like, no, I want to know what happens when all of this sees approval or firstly what is approval and how do i access this as, as a person like my mom who has no idea what i'm doing in the lab how does she access this medication and that's when you know this this um root analysis ad caught my attention because that's how they said um they place themselves do you want to know what happens next which is mm -hmm. great but <laughs> you, write, perhaps you, you don't know perhaps you can also you know tell the students or or like, you know, we have to convey a message that you have to keep looking around because I'm sure like you were more aware and you were looking around. That's how root analysis happened because it did not happen to many, many people having the same, you know, excess of information. So looking around, as you also looking mentioned, around, is very important. Yeah, absolutely, Manish. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, li I like to stress this more because mm -hmm. um, mm, I don't fit that typical scientist profile that you might see. Um, mm -hmm. Why? Because I like my books. I like my lab. But I'm also constantly asking, why am I doing this? Constantly. Now, many will tell you, you know, um, it's it's kind of recalibrating mm -hmm. um, why you exist as a human being. So it's too philosophical sometimes, and it's an existential question you don't want to ask. But because I ask this, I, to your point, keep mm -hmm. my ears open to talk to more people, read mm -hmm. information outside of my um, preferred area. So completely agreed with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to carry this on and say this Willingness to know outside of science, um, it only became stronger once I went for my second master's at University of Cambridge, which was the next step mm -hmm. to pursue a program called Bioscience and Entrepreneurship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because and I'm gonna ask more questions about sorry, that, but yeah, then. but no, no, <laughs> but you know, you were mentioning about root analysis and stuff, you know, and just yeah, I yeah. said, yeah, so that happened during your IIT, and that kind of you know, I think uh, inculcated your interest in this commercial aspects of science, right? Correct, absolutely. And how did you go about not to do a PhD? Because that's what you know, ninety percent <laughs> of MSc students. Yeah end up doing yeah. you know so how 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 did that happen you know so uh, i i yeah now i'm now i'm getting you because it's sometimes you know i, I put a rose colored filter over it now mm-hmm. so i don't i don't think about it too much but let me start by saying this i had a lot of funny support and criticism at the same time from my professors so i'm not here to brag but i was the you know i scored the highest in 10 years in that course you were the toppers so i mean yeah yes, nothing to brag about but yeah that's yeah uh, and you know i i remember two of my very close professors i really like them um they sat with me and counseled me as to you know it's going to be a loss if you don't do a phd i've heard you've not applied to any of the labs um we've heard you've not applied to any organizations abroad um it's going to be a loss what are you thinking so you know um it was difficult because it it it, mm-hmm. all, it almost felt like I was not filling the expectations of my professors who had spent those two years of hard work on me. And, you know, many, many people also would say, oh, you took this very valid um, seat of a, another student who had done miracles in research, right? And and you wasted it, that kind of stuff. So that, that did happen. Um, mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is two stories, um, which gave me the courage to think differently. Um, one is a good story, which was of my um, direct um, professor lead in my in my thesis. Um, I, I would like to shout out his name. His name was Dr. Partharoy, still is. Um, and what he did is, so, you know, during the six months I worked in his lab, um, we used to meet once in two weeks or something. And then I would give him updates on what I was doing and ask him questions, right? Um, and those questions were never about the science, but about the business of science. So I was always asking him, so about these cuets, you know, and I mean, how much if I, have, if I break one, like, what does it even mean um, in terms of costs? And then I used to ask him, how are you funding like these projects? You know, how are these things coming together? Why do we take so long to get the mice in the experiments? You know, I was asking all these enabler questions rather than the science. And he kind of walked me through, maybe, maybe that's where your interest lies. Maybe you want to make the process of getting to the output faster and maybe you're not that interested in the science itself and I said hmm, I'm not sure about that it hurts my heart but you know it's it's this first story that opened my brain towards maybe I don't want to do a PhD because I will not do justice to that I can't commit myself to three or five years depending on the country you go study in and the second one um, again I would say it's more of a failure story um, and, and for the for the listeners something to, to think about so I had a life plan you know study do this then get married and then have kids and then all that um let's just say without going into those details none of those plans worked out after <laughs> the masters and i had to really so you had those plans me. during your masters itself like all yeah, those yeah, yeah. Life i had, I had my there. plan no no i had my plans since high school i think forget masters i had like this entire <laughs> 15 year plan made up right how oh, i would wow. end up at the age of 35 or 40 and um it's like the cards started to fall in my background, in my personal life, in, in some way. And I realized, interesting, I don't think I will, yeah, those plan, plans are not making sense, which is why I mentioned, right? I, I always kept going on the why. So let's say certain failures in my personal life 
made me again rethink why did I want to do a bachelor's and a master's and a PhD and then maybe become a professor or maybe a teacher in a school like why am I thinking so limited there there's a world out there so yeah find uh, finding a mentor like my professor like I mentioned and and um, personal changes <laughs> in short I don't do a PhD it was hard Manisha mm-hmm. I have to say like for everyone else mm-hmm. if you feel you're not meeting expectations of the general audience mm-hmm. be ready for this it, no and I, I I tell to my colleagues as well and this sound this may also sound very absurd because you know for me PhD was the only option that I saw you know for me, because I didn't know about, you know, what other things I could do. I could either do a training at BCIL that was popular that time. Okay, go for an industrial job. But then I heard, oh, they pay only this much, you know. And then, you know, so I can totally relate. So I think, you know, in biotechnology, because in country like India, you don't have much options, you know. Uh, that is also a reason that most of people do a PhD in spite of perhaps yeah. not the real interest in doing science, you know, but that's an option for them to kind of, so we have to be like honest about it, you know, and I think you, you were honest to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And another yeah. thing, Manish, let's not forget. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to take that um, misnomer if that exists and push it out. Look, all of us at some point have to earn. And absolutely. All of us, um, no, that, that, that's clear. You know, so you yeah. make practical life choices. Absolutely. And I want to say this, that, you know, I do come from a privileged background. I'm aware of it. I'm, I'm mindful out of it and I'm thankful for it. Um, but what you what what you need to know also is I also had in my head that, you know, I'm not just going to be that pretty face that gets married eventually and is dependent on her husband. That's that's not the kind of way I want to operate. That's so, boring, right? Like, that's yeah, boring. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know. I didn't have the word for it back then, but feminism, what is that about? If you want equal opportunities, you have to have equal responsibilities, right? Um, But what I'm getting to is um, choosing to go study abroad was not an easy decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to take up a huge loan, right? Even though I didn't have to, I wanted to, because I wanted it to be about my effort and my um, responsibilities. Um, and what I'm getting to is I can imagine many people can't take that decision. You know, they, they, they have families to take care of. I get that. So what I'm getting to is there's a flurry side of um, keeping your options open, but there's also a practical side that people need to balance. But like I said, if you have purpose, if you have curiosity, options will open even in a later stage in life. So just because you didn't take the right, whatever right is, decisions in the first years, that's fine. You can always course correct in the future. So, I mean, you said about your, you know, uh, educational background and uh, stuff. Perhaps you can also highlight your current role as a director of digital and strategy. And uh, how does your kind of, you know, uh, work impact the general public, so to say? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, a um, couple of years ago, I, again, got lucky. Uh, got an opportunity to understand how, let's call it, the digital world works. More specifically, how does software design work? How does the concept work? Um, and I got more into the topic of digitalization. And we look around, digitalization has probably hit every industry that we you know, have access to, consumer health, consumers, um, legal even, um, and so forth. What it's not yet made an impact in enough of, in my opinion, is healthcare. I mean, we're getting there with medical devices, health apps, and so forth, but we're not there yet. Um, so what I do today in the context of biotech is to bring digitalization to drug discovery and beyond. What that effectively means is, you know, we all know that 
drug discovery life cycle from phase one to approval can be anything between eight to 15 years, depends on how lucky you are and how special the indication is, rare or not, and so forth. Um, there are a lot of steps in these eight to 10 years, eight to 15 years that are actually paused or stopped because of a, um, a lot of paperwork. It sounds crazy when I say this, but yes, there's a lot of paperwork involved, yeah, a lot of absolutely. human intervention involved. And of course, we still need human intervention, right? It's mm -hmm. humans we're talking about. But there's a lot of stuff here that can be automated and digitalized to be specified. And also a lot of um, the bottlenecks happen because we don't have, let's call it a central source of data sets that we can learn from um, and adapt our, let's say clinical studies and, and so forth. So my current job ensures that the drug discovery phases are faster than what they are today. Many companies are working on it, so we're not the only one. Um, and I, I can just give you one, you know, short example. I mean, all of us probably have experienced this. You know, we're all on social media um, and clinical study recruitment requires the right participants to be included. So guess what we do when we are on social media? We're, we're connecting to the kind of people um, we, we want to and we kind of create, unfortunately, unfortunately bubbles. And what, what is cool about this from a clinical recruitment perspective is that you can tap into those bubbles and recruit the right people in terms of inclusion criteria and so forth to actually um, get the clinical study to be recruited completely. And ideally these groups also have um, the kind of statistically relevant results you want in the end. So this would be an example of um, an idea to bring digitalization to clinical, clinical studies. Um, and also more recently, I've had the opportunity of thinking of um, uh, how to integrate AI ML in our research business as well. So now I'm also looking mm -hmm. at preclinical. Um, so, you know, I'm sure um, this is not my job, I must say this, but we must have heard of something called the early warning system that BioNTech delivered. Um, this was about judging the high risk variants of COVID. What was that? That was, that was let's say, um, modeling on steroids that you could predict which variants could be um, harmful, that you could, you know, indicate them to the government earlier. So this is a very interesting example how in early, early, early research, you could mm -hmm. um, predict what is to come um, and then, well, act from a biology mm -hmm. perspective as well. And Atre, like just for my own curiosity, when you say modeling on steroids, do you mean like, you know, implementation of AI or ML concepts yeah, into absolutely. modeling? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So for probably the structural biochemists and all, all, all the guys in the world, I mean, these words make sense to you when, when I say, you know, you do individual modeling, you try to imagine how the protein structure could look like. But if you give those set of rules on how you would create your molecule to an algorithm and make it run at, you know, 100 times the speed that your brain would as a human being, that's what I would say modeling on steroids. So you're not just predicting... Um, yeah, one or two kinds of sequences of, let's say, depending on the range you want to see uh, proteins or, or, or nucleotide, but you're able to do it for a huge types of combinations and permutations. So that would be that would be modeling on steroids. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I came to your current role, but perhaps, you know, you can also highlight, you know, how did that transition from Cambridge? I think you were doing a bio entrepreneurship course there, okay. like... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was your second master's, right? <clears throat> correct, correct, correct. And then, you know, how you ended up 
being in BioNTech. What was your journey like? Ah, this is 10 years old, 10 years journey now. Mm-hmm. It's funny. You, you remember the early days and the cream in the middle, which is what this, I have to collect this together now. Okay. Um, so, you know, I mentioned um, in, my, in, my, in my first master's, I noticed I want to know more about business. I found a couple of programs. There was one in Cambridge. There was in University of Karolinska. There was one in, I think back then, Stanford used to do one for um, bioscience entrepreneurship. Um, so again, limited options, but they were there. And I'm talking 10 years ago, so I'm guessing there's more out there now. Um, I went to this program, and what it did is, um, it was super packed. So it was nine months to one year, depending on how much you wanted to stretch it. And within the one year, <clears throat> I think we barely slept as students. So <laughs> some some bonding experience. Because we were taught about everything from... Um, let's say, how does FDA look at a particular, you know, drug um, in what phase, those kind of questions to also, for example, reading the balance sheet of AbbVie and Abbott when they split, right? So mm-hmm. this was the kind of range of things we are talking about. Um, and like I said, you know, it really opened my brain. This was in, in Britain. I had no intentions to stay. I wanted to come back initially. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm done. Um, but I don't know, somehow there were reasons that made me say, okay, you know what, I'm not done yet. I, I have to stay here for a bit. Um, started looking started looking for jobs. It wasn't easy. For everyone out there, it's not easy. It's not easy. Not just because finding a job itself is difficult, but because you have to be sponsored for visas. I mean, 10 years ago, that was... Absolutely. Crazy. No, um, and you should yeah. highlight that because, you know, I think um, the emphasis should be there, especially for people like, you know, expats in the US and also in Europe. It's not just about your married but it's also about the visa and stuff so go ahead on that. Uh, happy happy to see that i have statistics yeah. here so um i was quite late in applying for jobs right because i didn't really want to but when i did i applied for 10 i got selected in seven and only three decided to sponsor my visa so there you go you, you've got an example and and the funny thing is um i am sure that the rest of the three that didn't select you know not just saying it because of confidence but i can tell you because of the conversations they had an internal filter, you know, um, UK uh, ranked number one, EU ranked number two, any other country, TBD, right? So, yeah, you, you're filtered out. They will never mm-hmm. say it on an application, but you're filtered out if you don't, uh, you, if you're not an easy recruit, right? Simply. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, of those three that, um, you know, agreed to sponsor uh, my visa, I went ahead and I worked with a company called Finova, which is um, based out of Oxfordshire. Uh, two reasons. Firstly, wonderful people, startup in 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 the space of converting um, plant-based chemicals into drugs and um, nutraceuticals. Firstly, beautiful people. Um, these are what I would say are examples of humans who like the uh, traditional um, sciences, let's call it, but also understand the Western world. I mean, that was their business model, and and you know they strive to. Uh, take this ancient history of medication and therapy that exists and, and make it more modern friendly, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, to, for, for the people, it was not easy. I mean, I was in a limbo for about a month and a half because my study visa was ending and I needed to transfer to work visa ASAP because applying from outside of India would have taken way longer for approval. Um, so I got lucky, um, Finova agreed to give me this visa and, and pay for a good amount to get me that visa overnight in a way. It wasn't overnight, but something like that. Um, yeah, so that, that was my first gig. Um, 
I, I also want to say I got lucky because Finova perfectly fit what I did in my master's in, in, in uh, Roorkee, yeah? So I talked about how do we look at Ayurveda and, and things mentioned there as therapeutic and use that, for example, specifically Jamund for diabetes and, and diabe uh, diabetes and obesity. And, and Finova was doing that looking at traditional Chinese medicine. So that was the, that was the cool part that fine, I didn't know traditional Chinese medicine, but the concepts were similar. I spent a couple of years there in multiple hats. I think I started, I joined as R&D manager. I became a business development person in the middle if required. Um, I also set up websites. <laughs> yeah, in startup, you, uh, you get to you, wear multiple hats. You, so. you have to, right? It was, it yeah. was that, that, that kind of a company. But look, these opportunities are fantastic. They, they've Absolutely. taught me mm -hmm. what supply chain even means as a word beyond books and, and such. So yeah, I did that. Unfortunately, um, Brexit was announced, mm -hmm. or at least the vote for Brexit was announced. And I, having been through this whole visa nightmare, did not want to subject myself to that situation because you don't, you don't want to be in a place of um, negotiation where you have a lower hand, right? I need them. They don't need me in, in that way. So I started looking at what next can I do? So whatever you know was amazing about Finova, it was still un not easy for me to continue there, <laughs> let's say, because of the Brexit situation. So I started looking abroad, and then um, a friend told me about Merck. Um, in, in Germany, in Darmstadt, um, because it was trying to, let's say, go entrepreneurial, right? They were, they were setting up what they were calling an innovation center. Mm -hmm. And the concept here was to bring people who had dual degrees, science and, 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 and business, business yeah. mm -hmm. and make them, yeah, see what's possible um, in a 350-year-old company as, as, as new products. So that's, got, that's what attracted me to Merck. Um, I came to Darmstadt. Um, I actually joined through something called the in-house consulting program. Mm -hmm. So another, another thing for the members here, there are so many programs that love dual degrees. You don't have to be a specialist. You know, if you have Absolutely. a bit of both, it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, why? Because it takes time to go from science to business as a mindset. And I know Merck in-house consulting so well because, you know, I actually, I started my career from consulting uh, uh -huh. in a small boutique firm called Novo Med. And I had some colleagues, you know, who were actually in-house consultants there. In uh -huh. Merck, Fantastic. You know. Fantastic. Yeah, so so you, you probably know the kind of profiles it has, right? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the journey started there. Three months of projects across different parts of Merck, uh, which meant life science, um, healthcare for me specifically, strategy as well at, at, in corporate. Um, and then finally, I landed a gig um, in the innovation center like I wanted to, um, where I worked for the chief innovation officer as as the as the there's a fancy word called chief of staff, but yeah. And 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 there I got exposed to let's say the future of tech, right? Mm -hmm. So we were already talking about application of blockchain in healthcare in 2016, which already, mm -hmm. it's already sounds like, oh my God, uh, back then. Uh, but yeah, that's the hype cycle, right? It, it, it became a hype back then in 2016, 2017, and now we're still talking about it. So let's say, again, a lucky opportunity, but I learned about future of tech even more um, on a, let's say, 10 to 15 year vision. And at the same time, I got... Um, um, an opportunity to start working as what now I would call it as, which is a digital product manager. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had an idea, um, we saw a need in the market um, of, a, of a digital product, which could help a company know what it knows in terms of scientific technologies and platforms. 
and um, my manager my boss my mentor actually gave it to me and they said can you make sense of what this means i mean we know there's a need but does anyone else want it we want it does anyone else want it so um this is what i meant the opportunity to switch focus mm-hmm. and move into digital products and um apply all the learnings i had as an entrepreneur to that area so what that mean, meant was learning how products are created what teams do you need what skills do you need how long do these things take typical um you know basics um then understanding what need finding means like when we say does the market need something like that how does innovation begin and start right Th- those kind of basic topics and i'd say in my couple of years in that role i got it to a place where we had identified the need exists we had identified there's a niche market for this so mm-hmm. you know more specifically science and technology companies which have too many people and there's a lot in their heads which can which can be pulled through um automation i'll i'll get to that if needed um and i i remember leaving that project when i realized i don't have the skills anymore to take it to the next level because it it requires someone more um seasoned in in negotiations and in, in in selling in business development mm-hmm. um and i then continued my journey in um what's called merck life science uh where i worked to create digital products portfolio for supply chain manufacturing finance um and strategy what that meant more specifically is again building products but for for to serving internal needs um, okay mm-hmm. simple simple question I, i think i like to share this one during covid we saw what happened right supply chain was completely bottlenecked um and it was no one's fault it was you know uncertainty um countries were closing um supply chain uh, i mean employees are not there what would what would you build so for example i got the privilege to work on models that can kind of do a digital twin of a supply chain and and you know where the bottleneck could be and um and let's say uh, this was fantastic because i started with a title and then i ended with a team <laughs> which which i had the privilege to hire train this was really really fantastic um maybe one thing to share here so funny story i'm based out of germany um our our team was working across basically us darmstadt east and west coast us darmstadt and in obviously bangalore right in this space you always have the experts um from familiar um countries and just want to mention people were impressed or they trusted me because i knew the science but i was not an expert in it that's the, that's the funny part um so i could talk to a researcher i could talk to a manufacturing person you know using words like uh, you know the centrifuge we produce right so the wording was there um but i didn't board them or i didn't go to the details of how a centrifuge works that they just didn't want to talk to me i could i could when i was talking to a scientist if that was my end user but i didn't have to and and um, another thing to to think about is i what i missed i had a wonderful team i uh, more specifically i i think we created a wonderful team together by bringing um various diversity of background skills what i was really missing was biology it, it's it, it's 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 unbelievable because we don't think about it in india right so most of my engineers um purely studied engineering and then maybe they did some management you know unsurprising and then they decided to come to business and and code or whatever but nobody had a biology background right 
so i just looked at myself and said how could i how could i have inculcated more of me in them <laughs> how how do i do that because uh, i i love to teach that's fine um but why isn't coming why isn't it coming inherently you know from from our developers in in in, in india anyone learning computer sciences why is no why is no one coming from the biology standpoint and if it ever happens it's bioinformaticians right but then bioinformaticians are too important to core sql and python for digital right so there's like a clear gap and and i would highly encourage people to think about that career trajectory that you have i don't know a bachelor's or masters in biology and you have some coding skills um to then think of becoming what i started out as a digital product owner um because that gives you this unique skill set most people um, don't have in india specifically but also abroad it's it's missing you either have the biology or the programming not not often both mm-hmm. um yeah and then um couple of years there and then you know biontech came in the world um it made it big impact everybody wanted to be a part of the founder story it, it's been it's been quite a story as we all know um and i heard about the strategy role opening up which allowed me to do what i'm doing now Mm-hmm. I would also like to, you know, because you have such an interesting profile, Atrey. I think you also delve into startup, right? Like you, you kind of you started something which is called Connected Care Me, and I wanted to also touch base there. So, what inspired you to kind of start on that journey, and what you, what was it all about? Absolutely, it's still very close to my heart, and for many people, they still ask me, "Why am I not doing anything? Why am I not continuing?" So. let's talk about a failed startup but a successful experience um so look so i i consider in... nothing as failure i think you know it's all experience so <laughs> i i agree yeah. i agree i think but it's just important to acknowledge words like failure to make it more normal you know um, that it's fine it didn't work out it didn't work out that's okay yeah you learned and you move on um so easily said and i'm sure manish you have a similar experience you know when you when you come to a new country and in my case it happened four times or more um understanding how the system works is already too difficult you mm-hmm. know um i remember even not knowing how um, to buy grocery when i moved to the uk for the first time like how wait what okay so you know getting healthcare was another challenge because again you know you used to your um, knock on the doctor's door and you get an appointment or you know somebody who knows somebody <laughs> and you were coming from a doctor's family right <laughs> exactly so for me getting access to a doctor meant calling my dad up right um so it, it was never it was never a challenge but it becomes a challenge when you leave the country and your father can't help you because he can't get you medication his prescriptions won't work he is not recognized as a uk germany us doctor right so what do you do um so i went through this cycle four times as i mentioned um every time starting from scratch so how does the insurance work what is how do i get an appointment how do i even okay in germany especially how do i even communicate to my doctor about my previous health history so all of this led to a lot of let's say um frustration in my personal life and i also noticed i was not alone so there were many um let's use the word expats um but I, what i mean by expats is not fancy people on a beach drinking a martini but more people who are living outside of their country for a longer period of time um i noticed there's a need where people want to stay connected to their comfort healthcare so mm-hmm. whatever their home country is and 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 obviously want to be treated in the host country um for in 
in certain cases, continuing diseases like diabetes and so forth or allergies, but also for new diseases, they, they want that comfort from home. Um, and that's what came to the idea of Connected Care Me, mm -hmm. uh, which, which aimed to connect your home doctor to your host country doctor, such that you as a patient don't have to repeat your problem again and again in three different ways, not just the problem, but also the history um, and also, you know, normalize some some cultural conversations between them so i like to share this one very specific example um so i've, I've had um since my lab days a nail fungal infection since like forever um i think when did i step in the lab 17 18 and then since then and i every year at a particular point in time it comes back every year um so i knew this back home in in delhi and i knew i needed you know topical treatments and steroids depending on how bad it got but it was difficult in every country I went to to explain, guys, topical doesn't work. I have had, it's a chronic condition. It's been 10 years. You know, I need um, prescriptions and, and so forth. So I had to repeat, repeat, repeat. And more importantly, I had to find a doctor to start with and see if they were free. Um, and this is where I thought, what if my, let's say, home country doctor could just pass all the history and the prescriptions, uh, either through me or because of, you know, them knowing me, to the host country doctor and, then the host country doctor has an additional data point. You know, they can still talk to me, but they have 10 years of written documents and I don't have to repeat myself. So that was one specific example um, that, that led to me um, considering this. Um, so you so were basically trying to solve your own problem, right? Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. You yeah, faced yeah, the yeah. problem and my, you were My own problem, I, you know, <laughs> but also, as I said, um, in, in the bubble of people I was living in, I noticed it was an issue for everyone. I mean, a lot of people will being candid about relate. it yeah yeah no, no, relate absolutely. and let me give you examples people bring their own antibiotics from their home countries and it's not just indians yeah um no no yeah, other, You're other, right, yeah. Yeah. people in europe they travel with anti uh, antibiotics they travel with um, prescription drugs which they shouldn't have um in the house beyond a certain amount but they do because getting access here is very difficult um so yeah it, it started with me wanting to solve my own problem and that of friends and family around me um, and as I, as I was getting to, you know, there was some good stuff. Like I, I, I got into um, startup circles in Germany. I actually set up an UGE, um, which already is a lot of paperwork in Germany. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, we got through some um, um, startup competitions. So, you know, the company got selected in Antler in Berlin. We also um, got uh, European Health, um, as, I forget the name of it, um, but there was a health entrepreneurship um, um, fund and there we got selected as one of the companies to pitch wow. um, which basically exposed us to hospitals and other doctors to basically do testing of the idea right if it works or not um, I keep saying we um, because I had a lot of supporters I was not alone in the journey but I never had a co-founder Okay. and mm -hmm. that's actually where things started to fall apart a little bit because you wish you would do this alone it's not possible um, for many That's reasons. Tough. We won't go into the bad ones, but the good reasons is you always need a partner to brainstorm. You know, this again, this expert attitude of I'll go ahead and do my own thing my way. This doesn't work here. No, I um, think I can quite relate to this, Atra. Yeah. You know, to your point, I think we have our highs and lows and the, and during your lows, you need somebody to push you. So that's where the co-founder, you know, kind of helps because absolutely, you both absolutely. And also split the work. Also split the work. And I'm not saying a human is not complete on their own. What I'm saying is you can't always be 24-7 full charged with, with energy. 
So you need to split the work. You need to, um, as as you said, balance the highs and lows with somebody. Um, thankfully, I have that person in my personal life. But in the in the co-founder world, I couldn't find anyone. I looked, I looked, I looked for about a year and a half. And then eventually, I noticed that I, you know, I'd kind of funded this. Um, so I developed uh, with the group of people a prototype. All of this came with some, you know, investments. So I noticed I couldn't invest on it anymore. The little bit of money we got through these grants was drying out. And eventually, I had to kill the company last year. And by that, it means um, officially closing it from the public register in Germany. Um, but what I want to say is the concept is not closed. And, and that's some message to think about. Like a lot of people, as I said, they're still asking me, why aren't you doing something about it? Um, so it's an unsolved problem. Mm-hmm. And any of the listeners who like the area of, 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 of healthcare, think about it. Because with, with what happened with COVID, one healthcare, one global healthcare is only going to become more important in the time to come. You know, we we started to respect different countries' healthcare systems a little bit. <laughs> we started to be aware of them. And maybe there's a future where I could get consulted by a doctor in the US um, as quickly as I can in, in Germany if I want to for a rare disease. Why not? Wow. So, I mean, what are the important lessons that you learned, you know, through this entrepreneurial journey question one and question two is like was like you know was this all parallel was this all a side hustle along with your main job so, mm-hmm. yeah i like the second question um let, let me go with that first because it already has a lesson um so look i was doing well in my day job um you know my my team was great we 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 liked the work we were doing we saw the point of it but there was still something missing, and that was the patient centricity. So I, I, I didn't know what to do about it because, you know, I wanted to keep both, uh, you know, how they say, um, I wanted to keep both my hands full. Um, so I, I, I dared to go to my boss and I said, look, I really want to work on this idea. And 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 um, actually, um, uh, let's start with this. I, I have worked on it. <laughs> and I just wish I could get a formal approval from the company that I can continue exploring this idea a bit more in my private time. Um, I learned in Mac, and again, thankful to the company for allowing me that um, there was a clause where you just have to declare that there's not in, nothing in competition to the company. Nothing, conflict for. of interest should be not exactly. there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, you will give that Germany required 12 hours of rest between jobs. That's a must have. But if, if, if you can follow those, um, you can do what you want. So yes, for the side hustle part of phase, I think I did a side hustle for six months officially um, with Merck's um, agreement. And then when, um, let's say, the startup got uh, accepted in programs which required more energy from me, um, this is when I took, uh, let's call it, I basically used up all my holidays from Merck and also I took an unpaid leave for one month, basically two months of focused work. And, and that kind of was like the make or break um, that I had given to it. That look, this is my fully dedicated, completely penniless time. <laughs> um, let's hope things work out in that much time. And even if I see a little glimpse of hope, I will continue. So yeah, it, it, it was a side hustle for the longest time. Um, I think, yeah, two months were the only time when I didn't have two jobs. So, the, and, and the learning here I want to share is if you really have a vision and you want to do something, even the people you think don't want to support you will support you. So Merck had no reason to allow me to do this. Why should they? They did. 
because they saw that I was coming from a place of, of purpose. Um, actually, I still, I'm in touch with my ex-team where everyone's still, again, these guys, the guys asking me, what are you doing about this now? You know, how far did it progress? So that's one lesson. Um, so keep asking. People see the purpose. They, they, they join your, they, they join your vision. Um, other, other learnings, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the first thing um, we've mentioned many times before, talk to people, test your ideas. Even if you're not hearing good stuff, most people will not say good stuff. It's good because even if you want to go ask for money um, to force for getting the idea to become bigger, you'll be asked the same questions. Maybe the level of detail will change. Maybe some people will have a vision, but the questions will, will be there. So talk to a lot of people when you have an idea. Um, don't take everything to heart, but do take everything to mind um, to answer them when, when, when required. Um, ask for help. Um, there's no shame in that. So a lot of friends have come to, let's say, help me understand how to read um, German documents. Um, because however much German I know, I, I don't know enough. <laughs> to do legal stuff in it so ask for help people are always again willing to help you um, do a lot of research uh, there's there's no going back on that so you know people are one source of research you have to keep reading and increasing your knowledge in a space there's there's, there's just no doubt about that you 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 have to be obsessed with wanting to solve the problem um, it just doesn't happen in a nine to five way it doesn't work like that at all um, and yeah I mean um, don't be scared to make mistakes. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that all the time, you know, that's why using the word failure, because it's, it's really an iterative approach. You do it once, you learn from it. If you don't learn from it, you again make the mistake, but this time the impact is bigger, so you will learn from it. Yeah, the, those would be lessons, I'd say. Amazing, amazing. Uh, so yeah, coming back to your current role at uh, BioNTech, you know, so what are, what are the key skills that is, you know, that you think are valuable for your current role? And, uh, you know, how can a student or an aspirant for, you know, if somebody wants to go that path, you know, what would be your recommendation for them? Absolutely. So let's, let's start by saying, so look, strategy, simply put, because many people will associate different words to it, is having an overview of what is now and what is next, right? And then you can bridge the gap. Um, I'll distribute the skills for being in strategy in general, and then more specifically, digital strategy in a few baskets. Number one, people skills. You really need to talk to people and learn how to ask the right questions to get the right information. Um, you know, you and I can talk also here for 50 minutes, but you may not get what you need. So you need to you need to ask the right questions. Um, you you need to again be. I use this word constantly. Curious. You just don't want to ask the question. You want to understand the answer. Um, so again, curiosity and asking the right questions is is one important topic. And also, you, you, you need to have the thought process of someone who thinks in the future. Um, and of course, future is 20 years, 15 years, 5 years. You kind of have to distribute the lens this way. Um, 5 to 10 years is a good, fair way to look at strategy overall. And more specifically, 3 years, but then keep the 5 to 10 year horizon in your mind as well. Um, in terms of um, more technical skills, um, because I'm coming um, from a place of drug discovery, knowing the basics of drug discovery is important. Um, if you even know the science and technology behind it better, right? Um, so I use my science, but not as an expert. Um, 
it also helps to know a bit about so because I'm more specifically in data data products, data digital solutions, learn a little bit about um, languages that help you query data. What does that even mean? So basics of data analytics, um, that helps. Um, and yes, oh, uh, big one, project management skills. Don't, don't forget that. So within, within the world of digital and data, project management doesn't necessarily work waterfall. It works agile. You'll, mm -hmm. you'll hear the words from Kanban, la, la, la. So again, learning this helps because you can speak the language of both the technical developers as well as the biologists in the room, as I mentioned. Um, and, you know, if you're really into it, I'm starting it to uh, get into the details of learning the language. Um, so I'm, I'm now, uh, last two months, um, trying to get my hands dirty with Python. <laughs> so there's, there's no there's no limit to, to learning. Um, but I'd say you don't need to be a Python expert to do the job. Mm -hmm. You just need to know what it means. And for the people, perhaps, you know, who, who didn't understand, you know, what you mentioned about the waterfall methodologies and Agile and Kanban and stuff, perhaps you can say, you can add to it that, you know, that in a continuous development process, I think, you know, Agile methodologies are like better used. Absolutely, perhaps you can absolutely. highlight that, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That. So no? it's for project management or management of anything. Um, you you will see two points. Do you know what you're doing as a, as a path? Or you know your goal, but you don't know the path. If your answer is, I know exactly where we want to reach, the goal is clear and the path is clear, you want to do what is called waterfall project management. It's called waterfall because if you see the way you do timelines, it flows like a it flows like a waterfall. So you do one thing first and then another thing and then another thing. There are dependencies, there are parallel things, but it's kind of clear how you'll get there and how much time with a little bit of here there um, estimation. But life is often not like that, especially if you are developing something which has no end. So um, I guess I think Simon Sinek calls it the never ending game. So if, if you are if you are in the cycle of projects which finish and then you start something new, that's that's not also often life. And that's when agile project management comes in. You kind of know your goal, but how to get there has to be iterated, learned and, and, and developed. That's that's for example where the words like Kanban, um, specifically um, Scrum, for example, will come by. Where what you are saying is you are clear that you have to give something with decent quality in a good amount of time um, and you have to reach a goal uh, but you improve the way to get there from your previous experiences so i can even give a very specific example you time box a lot so you say okay look we'll do a four week whatever cycle it could be ideation development whatever you want to do mm -hmm. we meet every day to see how we are doing short short updates no 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 more but in four weeks we will see what we had um, decided to do that that even makes sense maybe we it's like we have a map we know where to go but you know after four weeks we realized we ended up going to another country by mistake and now we need to recalibrate and come back or we can change our path maybe there's a faster way to get to my goal on that map um, from the country i'm in so that would be agile and um, to be fair agile is not softwares or um, tools you use but the way you think um, that you can't have this um, you know, straight, only one way of doing things, it's okay to change your course if if the task demands it. Absolutely. Yeah, with that, you know, I think comes the next question, next question about, you know, what are the, say, the biggest challenges that you face 
in your current work and you know how do you overcome them you know because i mean you were mentioning yeah, yeah, yeah. i i, I yeah. like the way you also phrased it overcome because it's again a never ending journey so <laughs> in the the example i gave our agile waterfall this itself is not common in the industries that we are working in today right so we are we are used to working in sequence uh, sequential waterfall diagrams so to even get people to get comfortable with this iterative approach is difficult because the very first question people will ask you is how long will it take well depends if it's a certain problem i can tell you you know um if it's not if it's not even clear what the problem is because you've said one line to me and that doesn't mean much it depends it really the answer it depends so getting people comfortable with um you know either knowing exactly what scope you want and running with that or learning as you go with some direction in mind this itself is uh, difficult how we overcome it often is firstly it takes time so if you're talking to people who've done project management for a long time in their life they know the realities of life right so they they will adapt to it quickly but those who've not done this themselves you need to educate them um, you have to talk to them you have to convince them and again every call doesn't mean they'll agree but you are slowly making them open to to that idea the second thing we've experienced and by we i mean not just me but you know my team overall is that there's a lot of um, misunderstanding of what um, data science um, data analytics in general is many people believe you know you take a magic wand and everything comes together and you have a predictive algorithm that's not how it works you you need cross functional multi skills in in a group of people to basically firstly understand the problem and then see if there's a solution out there so you know it's not like how sometimes these big companies um tech companies help us think like like the googles and facebooks chat gpt was not developed overnight if you guys are using that it's um, someone told me when chat gpt 1 and 2 came out nobody cared and that was a couple of years quite a lot of years ago and now suddenly it's become mainstream so people are talking about it right so again um it's not a magic wand um it's it's iterative and therefore fast but things take time to develop and it's not done through three or four kinds of skills only you have a multidisciplinary team so to educate people about this also again you firstly firstly have to educate and then sometimes it helps to show uh, by doing so you know in my current role for example i've taken up a project and trying to run it agile and it's not been done before so let's see let's see what the response is but of course if you come out of it with some sort of successes um people get convinced wow so yeah i mean you know uh you mentioned a lot of challenges you know and how you overcome them and i would like to ask this question specifically because you are women right and <laughs> women in stem i've heard like they face say some additional problem when compared to men would you like to highlight them and also like there like what advice would you give to other women who want to pursue a career in stem yeah so you know i i have to say i think it's a woman thing and i say this because i have talking to women from different cultures mm -hmm. it's a women thing to be accommodating somehow and it's a women's thing to not make people uncomfortable so you know we we try to bring in harmony and i say we because i'm massively feminist and i think it's a great skill to have um so often as a woman i found myself and i still find myself today where i can't be the devil's advocate that's not expected out of me you know i'm i'm supposed to be the one keeping things together which again is important but sometimes you need to have that critical eye in the room and be that bad person in the room right 
Um, so as a woman, that's that's difficult sometimes because, you know, people are just confused why you're not playing that role. Um, so for the women out there, don't be scared to be the antagonist in the meeting sometimes. To ask the question nobody's asking. Don't assume people know the answer to the question you want to ask because it's so stupid. Most likely nobody's thought about it. And basically don't self-censor yourself. Don't do that. Uh, you learn what can and cannot be said, but don't start by putting a sensor layer to, to yourself overall. Um, another more practical advice, except for self-censoring, don't, don't do, don't do self-censoring, um, is um, someone told me this quite, quite, quite recently. Um, ask for a seat in the room. Because often, often, and I still do that, so it's also a learning place for me. Often we assume that seat will be given to you, right? So you'll do hard work, people will see it, and then at some point in time, they will see your point and your, your value and just hand it over to you. That doesn't often happen. Um, it can, it doesn't have to happen this way. It's really about going there and saying, yes, I want it. Can I have it? And if not, then why not? What am I missing today? Ask for the seat in the room, ask for the seat on the table. Um, and yeah, ask for what you really want to get to the next step. Um, the, the reason I actually learned about this is because um, I was told this from one of my ex-bosses that I didn't realize you had huge ambitions. And I said, how is that not obvious? I said, that's obvious. Like, no, it's not. Because, you know, there are people and I would like to believe men often ask for what they want more boldly and the women don't. So, yeah. Um, don't that's censor yourself. Advice, yeah. yeah. And, and, and ask mm -hmm. for what you want. Most likely people don't realize your ambitions. Most likely they don't realize you don't you have a voice amazing yeah that brings to you know the next question about you know so you were mentioning about chat gpt one two three and four happen very closely and you know i am i'm i'm like really a big user of that because i'm also like you know doing a lot of marketing stuff using oh, cool. it you know? <laughs> nice. it's great for content generation and stuff yeah, but yeah. you know in your field how do you stay up up to date with the latest developments and are there any resource or you know, any advice also to, you know, people who want to kind of develop skill sets yeah. in your field, what would be yeah. that? So this is going to be a hard one for me to answer because the field is ever evolving, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, I mean, all the needs uh, to be even more updated. Exactly. Yeah. So um, as always, two sources of information, humans and reading or, or secondary research. So keep talking to people. I bully people on LinkedIn sometimes. Bullying is probably not the right word. I approach a lot of people on LinkedIn, similar to Manish doing here. Um, <laughs> so don't 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 hesitate if you feel there's a person who you would want to learn about or understand what they're doing. They'll decide to not talk to you. They don't want to, um, but they can also choose to talk to you. So and don't assume. Way. Don't assume things. You know, just try your best. I mean, this is what exactly, I exactly. So reach out to people on mm -hmm. social media. Um, attend conferences. Um, as a listener, you don't always have to be there only as a presenter. The typical scientific conferences, you know, because it's just from a digital space. Um, for those who are very much into the coding world, I mean, hackathons and so forth. You probably already know. Um, there are many events where like-minded people are brought together. Um, in hackathons and this is also where you can learn um, new technology trends um, so yeah again first things people 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 second research uh, desk research so again it depends on what you're interested in but for example medical uh, medical apps medical devices um, basically can you treat depression 
through an app with behavioral therapy, for example, these are things that didn't exist five, 10 years ago. So if you try to read review articles on it, it will be hard. However, what you can do is um, the typical science direct and so forth, read about um, digitalization in, in healthcare life science. And then you start to see trends which you want to go into deeper and deeper. What I'm getting to is these are none of these are perfect sciences. None of these are perfect businesses. Um, so in short, start with getting an overview of different topics um, that maybe from me or others you think are interesting for you. Um, and then depending on where you reach, um, continue reading on the details. But again, have the overview. That's, that's, the, that's the big picture. Um, for me, more recently, online MOOCs are really helping. So I'm personally doing a lot of training on edX, um, Coursera's and, and, and things like that. And they're rich resources. So LinkedIn learning for the basics of business, they're not bad. Um, I've actually been refreshing my learnings in Scrum on LinkedIn learning. It's not that bad. It's, it's not great, but it's not that bad. So I would say online MOOCs is a good source. Um, and more specifically, the Harvard edX, um, Coursera I really like, and LinkedIn learnings. I think LinkedIn learning is very business oriented. So um, something I would advise. Awesome. And Atri, you know, there's so much, so much of things happening in the, in the life sciences, you know, especially with AI and ML that you mentioned. Um, so I would definitely ask this question. How do you see, you know, the future of life sciences, you know, what's your vision? Ay, 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 ay. Uh, you can never predict the future when it comes to these things, because I don't think anyone saw content generators like chat GPT, at least I didn't <laughs> five, six years ago. Um, right. So definitely we've all been talking about it but with, with, with ai ml it's going to get more personalized right um why because the problem in the past has been you can keep talking about personalization but that basically means a lot of data points a lot of data points and no human can digest all of it um so for me in short ai ml will enable more personalized healthcare what that means is let's make it more consumer health oriented first a very specific diet nutrition plan tailored to you based on your genetics, your environment, um, your lifestyle, your um, behavioral patterns and so forth. So, you know, going back to my favorite topic, you can, you can be more healthy um, based on you and not because of your parents only, right? And the genetics that they carry. Um, another thing, um, again, coming to drug discovery, more personalized. So it's not going to be a treatment that is for all or the majority, um, but maybe we have a very specific, um, I'm going to now draw from my BioNTech world, mRNA tailored to you as a human being. Um, so, because it's not just about research, but also making that, um, manufacturing that unique um, drug that is only for you. So I could say consumer health is going to get impacted, um, drug discovery will get impacted, um, and I think the last part we're already seeing ourselves, um, we as humans will become more in charge of our own health. So I don't want to say the doctors go away. I don't want to say the specialists go away, but you yourself can diagnose yourselves more and potentially treat yourselves more, um, depending on the regulations. I'm being clear, safe here, clear and safe mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be more health in your control, just like mm -hmm. banking. I mean, I, I love the example of banking. Once upon a time, you needed your banker to do everything for you, right? Yeah. I don't Not know how many times now we go to banks. <laughs> and, and we really visit, yeah. That, that's so true, yeah. So the financial health 
has been automated let's see if um, the human health is yeah. is also personalized and automated in the future amazing and yeah now you know the final question for this podcast is about always you know career tips and advice that you would like to give to you know biotech students oh yo 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 tips um career uh, tips yeah yeah um take opportunities we've talked about that look around the world is big the world the world is beyond labs i'm not saying labs is not a good option but there is a world outside of that which mm-hmm. uses your skills um as well um feel feel confident to ask the why uh, more concretely always keep questioning why you do what you do and also asking others why they expect something um, may that be business or personal life um you can never stop learning in this field i think with many fields you can't ever stop learning the the space of science is beauty because it there's there's always more um to to know um so keep learning keep your mind open and curious also to accept something that you thought was different right so you you can't just reject outcome and data if just because it doesn't really fit your belief system so keep your mind open and curious and learn um and keep building your networks i think that's that really helped me in life um you are not just a scientist you're not just a biologist in you know beauty and innovation comes through interdisciplinary thinking be friends with people you don't speak the language of you know i used to think well, i can't talk to management students i mean i am that person now um so be 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 open to talking to people who are not experts of your field because that's when your brain actually grows that would be all from my side wow so thank you atre for sharing your insights with us today it's been a pleasure talking with you So and yeah to the audience thank you for tuning to biology career insights don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episode delivered straight to your device see you next time bye atre have a nice day manish bye bye